Now, just before we turn back uh, to Luke chapter 19, uh, let's pray once again. Lord David uh, could pray with that desire that he would be satisfied in seeing your face, being in your presence, and enjoying your glory. And Lord, we pray that the same would be true for each one of us today, uh, that you know that we've come here uh, from different uh, stories, backgrounds, circumstances, and situations. Uh, For some, our hearts are joyful. For some, our hearts are troubled. For many, our hearts, even now, are distracted. But Lord, we pray uh, that you would give us that desire uh, to seek your face, uh, that you would show us more of Jesus in your word, we pray. Amen. So as we continue on the journey towards Easter, as we follow the journey of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we come to what's sometimes known as the triumphal entry, Jesus approaching and entering Jerusalem. And our question today is a very personal one. What is your response to King Jesus? What is my response to King Jesus? And especially as we see him come as the king of peace. As it happened, peace was the theme of uh, our Hope Explored course this past Monday. And so we thought about uh, that deep longing that we have as people for peace. Now, whether that's peace out there, and we can think about war, we can think about hatred, we can think about racism, and we long to see an end to that. Whether the longing for peace right now is is in here in our own hearts. Perhaps we're full of anxiety and stress and uncertainty. Or maybe for us, when we think of our longing for peace, we're thinking about peace between us and we're conscious, perhaps, of relationships that are strained or broken. Peace in our time is something we are all going to be looking for. Uh, Perhaps we remember uh, in our uh, history uh, at school, Uh, the time when uh, Neville Chamberlain arrived back home to a hero's welcome, uh, announcing uh, peace in our time. A great thanksgiving, thanksgiving in churches, uh, because Chamberlain believed he had secured peace, a promise of peace from Hitler. Of course, that turned out to be a false promise and a false peace. And perhaps even that reminds us that as much as we long for peace, we also recognize Peace is something that's easily lost. Sometimes all it takes is a careless word. Sometimes it's the word that's left unsaid. Sometimes it's words spoken in anger. Or we go to the attitudes and emotions in our heart, perhaps because of pride or because of selfishness or an unwillingness to make the first move towards reconciliation. We can live with broken peace. Peace is a fragile thing. Fragile as a spider's web. And all too often it's we uh, that break the thread. So we long for it, but we recognize how easily it can be lost. Well, today, there is good news for us as we consider the journey of Jesus because he comes announcing himself as the Lord of peace. Here he is in this bold, public, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, coming as the king of peace, riding on a donkey, and he comes to bring the deepest peace a lasting peace, a spiritual peace, peace between us and God. And he will make peace by way of his blood, by way of the cross. 
And as he is on this journey, as he comes towards Jerusalem, we see that there are different responses to Jesus, and that invites us to make our response to King Jesus too. How will people? How did people respond then? How do you and I respond today? So let's notice and what happens when the king of peace arrives. Now, verse 28 to verse 35, we have it there. It, maybe you've been around um, and seen the excitement and the crowds that gather when um, a member of the royal family uh, arrives in a city or a town, or maybe a president or a, a prime minister comes. But even if not, we've definitely seen it on the television. We know that there are crowds and colours and flags and cheering and, and gifts and honour is shown. And we see some of that here, don't we? This is Jerusalem at Passover time. A great time of national celebration as well as one of those national times of worship. And there's always great enthusiasm and hope and expectation at this time, wondering, will this be the year when God's King will come? Will this be the year when deliverance comes? Will we have peace in our time, uh, peace as Rome uh, is... Uh, removed. Most people were looking for a political peace, one of the reasons why people missed the significance of Jesus. Uh, but, but look with me at a few things. First of all, think about the plan uh, of Jesus. Uh, let's read again verse 30 and 31. These are Jesus' words to his disciples. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden it, has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, If anyone asks why you're untying it, say, the Lord needs it. So Jerusalem's on the horizon, and Jesus issues these instructions. He's setting his royal timetable. His plan is put into effect. Now, what do we make of that uh, scene? For some people, uh, they hear this and think, well, Jesus has planned this in advance so that the Lord needs it becomes a kind of password. So Jesus already prearranged it. Uh, For others, uh, we hear the Lord needs it, and perhaps that reminds us, here is Jesus who is the Lord, the Lord of creation. He owns it all, he has rights over it all, and so uh, the folks that own the donkey uh, recognize the authority of Jesus the Lord. Uh, Others look at it and say, well, here is Jesus showing that he knows the future. He knows what's going to happen when his disciples go into the town. He knows the conversation that's going to take place. And in a sense, we're not invited to know which of these are true. And in fact, all of them can be true at the same time. But what we do know as we put those together is that here is the Lord Jesus deliberately directing events so that he will make this journey to the cross. Now, that's the ultimate plan that's going on here. And as we think about that, we need to stop and think about who is this Jesus who is directing things towards the cross. Luke's gospel has been building a profile for us. We've jumped in towards the end of his gospel. But we can think just for a couple of minutes, for example, back to when Jesus' birth is being announced to Mary, his mother, by the angels. And and what's Mary told? That your son will be the son of the Most High, will be the son of God, and he will sit on the throne of David forever. 
And we can think about uh, Jesus' baptism. And we see the significance of King Jesus there as the Spirit comes down upon him and as the Father announces, this is my Son, I love him, I'm well pleased with him. We can think about the ministry of Jesus. And what do people recognize in the ministry of Jesus? They see, don't they, his power and authority as he teaches. His power and authority in his miracles. Here is one who has power over sickness and storms, over disease and over death itself. So that people were frequently asking, who is this? And then we can think about the mission of Jesus. Last week we heard him say at the house of Zacchaeus that he'd come to seek and to save the lost. He announces in the gospel multiple times he has come to suffer and be rejected and to die and to rise in order to bring forgiveness and eternal life. And so here we have this powerful king, this one with authority, this one who is God in the flesh, who deliberately chooses to ride on a donkey towards his own death. And do we think about all that we're told about Jesus in the gospel, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why that journey? Why the donkey? And that takes us to a really important prophecy. Jesus is uh, very conscious that he has come by the plan of God according to the promise of God's word, and he's come to fulfill scripture. So think about it, even today, um, whenever a royal uh, is moving around, or a prime minister or a president, uh, their transport is making a statement. It's, It's always expensive, grand, there's always a grand entrance. It's making a statement. In Jesus' day, When a triumphant king was riding into a city, you expect a war horse. And you expect this great procession. You don't expect a donkey. And remember, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over all creation. If he wanted a horse, he could have had a horse. He chose a donkey. So why is he making this statement? And that's where we need to turn to the Old Testament. We need to turn to Zechariah uh, chapter 9. Uh, verses 9 to 11, uh, to help us to see this. So we have uh, the words of Zechariah 9, 9 to 11 up there. So I'm going to read them for us, where we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. And that's the picture we have at the triumphal entry. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Why does Jesus choose the donkey? He chooses a donkey to announce, I am this promised king. The promised king we have here in Zechariah, the one who comes 
righteous. Jesus is the only truly righteous person ever to have lived, never sinned, always lived for the glory of God, lived in full obedience to his Father's will. Here is Jesus, the King, who is victorious. He is coming to wage war on those great enemies of Satan and sin and death, those enemies that we are powerless against, but he will win a victory through the cross and the resurrection. He is all-powerful, and yet he is humble and gentle and lowly, and he comes riding on a donkey. And he is the king of peace, and he proclaims his message is a message of peace, and not just peace for some, but peace to all nations. His rule and authority extends to all nations, so he's the hope for all people. He's the hope for you and for me today. So in choosing the donkey... Jesus is announcing that those hopes of deep peace that you and I have in our hearts, those longings that we have, they are met in Jesus. In Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. Our relationship with God, broken by our sin, can be restored through faith in him. Why is it good news that Jesus comes riding on the donkey? Well, it's good news if we see for ourselves the problem of sin and the lack of peace we have with God because of our sin. When the Bible speaks of sin, it speaks of us breaking God's good laws. God is our creator and our maker, and he has designed how life is to work at its best. And we break those laws, sometimes accidentally, but often deliberately. Sin is rejecting God's good rule. The Bible declares that God is our king and we owe him our loyalty and our worship. But sin is when we turn our back on God, when we'd rather live our own way and we'd rather not follow him. Sin is when we replace our one good God with an idol where we choose to make something within creation, whether that be a person or our work or our hobby or whatever it might be, more important to us than the living God. We find our our security and our sense of identity and purpose in a created thing and not our God. The Bible says that's idolatry and that's sin. Sin is when we resist God's good and loving will. Sin is when we choose darkness over light. And the Bible is clear, and actually Jesus is clear, that the consequence of turning away from the light and choosing darkness is to face eternal darkness, is to be cut off from God and all that is good and all that is loving forever. It's the reality of hell as Jesus speaks about it in the Bible. And so when we understand the problem of sin and the problem that it brings with our hearts and that we can have no peace with God by ourselves, then it's good news that Jesus comes as this king bringing peace. And if we're ready to listen, we can receive the solution. We even find it here anticipated in Zechariah 9. So he will proclaim, verse 10, he'll proclaim peace to the nations. And then in verse 11, We're told about the blood of my covenant with you. 
Here's the reason for Jesus' journey to the cross. Last week in church, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's a picture of the work of Jesus. We take bread and it represents, Jesus said, his body, which is broken for his people. We take a cup of wine, which represents his blood shed for us. And and Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus has come to bring us back into restored relationship with our God. He has come to make peace, but he can only do that through his blood. And that explains why Jesus rides on a donkey. It explains why he journeys to the cross. So that he might, out of sheer love and mercy and grace, cover our sin. That he might be the sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God that we deserve to face. Instead, it will fall on Jesus. His is the blood that pays the redemption price so that we can know freedom and not slavery. And not live with fear. Jesus experiences rejection. Jesus tastes death. So that we might have peace. That we might have peace in here, in our hearts. Knowing forgiveness from God. Knowing there's no condemnation for us. Knowing that guilt has been removed. And that we can enjoy through faith in Jesus a peace that passes all understanding. A peace to guard our hearts and our minds come what may. But it's not just peace in here the cross actually provides peace between us, between us and God. There's a wonderful little section in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is fully God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Reconciliation, peace, through the blood of Jesus. And when we, by faith, trust in Jesus, the war is over between us and God. Peace breaks out and joy breaks out. Perhaps we uh, remember, uh, perhaps when the, the Berlin Wall fell, the celebrations that happened. Perhaps we've seen scenes of street parties at the end of World War II. Well, by faith in Jesus, as our peace is restored, there's a greater joy for the people of God. But it's not just peace in here. It's not just peace between us that Jesus came to secure. It's also peace out there, peace in the world. By trusting in Jesus, as Jesus comes to bring in his kingdom, we can look forward with hope as the people of God to Jesus' future kingdom of perfect, lasting peace. A place of wholeness and completeness, of security and tranquility when he comes to establish the new creation, when he comes to deal with sin once and for all, and when we get to live with peace, hope and joy and perfect love. So the King of Peace arrives But the question still remains, what will the response of the people be? And more importantly for us, what will our response be to this king who brings peace? Two responses we recognize. The first is that of rejoicing. 
Uh, there is a group who are rejoicing over the king of peace. Uh, here is Jesus again. He's boldly, publicly uh, entering into Jerusalem. And these actions are calling for a decision. And there's one group who bring out the royal carpet. Verse 35 and 36 they brought the colt to Jesus through their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, this is the way for people in those days to show honor, to give a glad welcome, uh, to give the smoothest ride possible. Uh, perhaps for us, the closest we get is towards the red carpet treatment. By the way, Jesus is welcome to Jerusalem is the same. You can go to the Old Testament, 2 Kings 9, and you'll discover uh, that's how Jehu uh, is welcomed and honoured. So there are some who rejoice because God's king has come, and then they join this royal chorus in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So that first um, part of the verse from Psalm 118, verse 26. So there are some uh, who are singing those psalms of ascent, festival psalms, and they recognize, here is Jesus, the royal king, who arrives to Jerusalem with honor. Think about those verses that we sang. Jesus is the king who saves. Jesus is the king who demonstrates the love and goodness of God. Jesus is the Lord's king. And so there are some people, as they're singing that psalm, they recognize this is true of Jesus. And so they are rejoicing. But then they also find themselves shouting peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And that is very reminiscent of uh, the song of the angels. Uh, As Jesus is born and as the angels appear to shepherds, looking after their sheep that first Christmas. And we find in chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace and glory in earth and in heaven. Why? Because God is reconciled to the human race through Jesus who is totally God and totally man. There is joy for those who recognize that the events of Easter are the only path to true peace. That Jesus has come as promised to bring lasting peace. The crowds, as they rejoice, they do so for two reasons. In verse 37, eh, they praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. So they've either been there or they've heard by reputation the, the wonderful, powerful things that Jesus has done. And they conclude, well, this isn't any ordinary person. This is none other than God's promised Messiah King. And so they rejoice. They also sing because they recognize here is one who fulfills all those Old Testament promises. They're reading or they're hearing the scriptures read and they're recognizing this is fulfilled in Jesus. And so they have joy because they see Jesus as the answer to their longing for peace. Much deeper than just a political peace. Peace in their hearts. Peace in 
the world. Peace between them and God. Because Jesus has come. And so they sing for joy. Just as we began with that uh, great hymn of praise, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Why? Because we've been ransomed, healed, and restored, and forgiven. Who, like we, his praise should sing? The people of God rejoice over the King of peace. But that's not the only response. And we also need to consider the second response, because we see there are those who reject the King of Peace. Uh, for those of us who like football, I wonder if you've ever been the away fan uh, in the home end uh, when a match is being played. If so, you've probably had the uncomfortable experience of, of not joining in the same songs that everyone else is singing. You don't celebrate the same goals as they are scored. You stick out. Different emotions, different responses. Well, here... There is a crowd joyfully praising, and then there are the Pharisees. You can almost picture them, can't you, with their arms folded and they're scowling. And they're ready to rebuke Jesus. Teacher, they say in verse 39, rebuke your disciples. Here is a group of religious leaders, so they've read their Bibles, they study their Bibles, that's their life. But they refuse to recognize Jesus as worthy. They reject his claims. And they would actually rebuke Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus responds, verse 40, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Those stones have better judgment than the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, those stones, if they had voice, they would worship their creator. But the Pharisees stand there scowling. They've been blinded by pride. They don't like that people are, are listening to Jesus and he speaks with a greater authority than them. They've been blinded by prejudice. He comes from an unimportant time, from an unimportant family. And so they do not want this king who brings peace. That brings us to the city of Jerusalem. This city whose name means city of peace. We see that they too will by and large reject the king of peace. And in verse 41 to 44, Jesus does two things. Uh, First, The first thing we'll consider is that he announces future judgment. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in. On every side, they will not leave one stone on another. Future judgment, destruction of the city, which happens in AD 70. Just like in the Old Testament, God's people were in covenant relationship with him. And they were told, if you live in obedience to me, if you honor me and worship me, then you'll enjoy blessing. But if not, you will experience curse. Curse for turning their back on God. And what have we got here? Jesus knows. Here he is. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God actually with them. He's come down to love them, to save them, to restore them. But, verse 42 
If you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. They didn't see Jesus as the one who came to bring peace. Verse 44, why does the judgment come? It comes because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. God came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, but the door was locked. No red carpet was laid out. Rejection of the king. And so he announces future judgment, but he also weeps for them. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And in this moment, Jesus shows us the heart of God. God declared, I do not take delight in the death of the wicked. Here we find Jesus longing for them, distressed that they would turn their back on their creator and their savior. He doesn't gloat over his enemies who will gladly conspire to judge him falsely and to put him to death. Rather, he is the savior who weeps. And it reminds us of the tragedy of their response to Jesus. The scandal of their response to Jesus as God's King and God's Savior is rejected. So the journey of King Jesus, because it's so public, is deliberately calling for response. And so today, this journey of Jesus is calling for our response. Jesus rides on a donkey and that donkey helps us uh, to appreciate more of the gospel story. Here is Jesus coming as God's humble king, a servant king, a king who would bring peace. And how would he do it? By journeying to Jerusalem, by journeying to the cross, to pay for sin, to face our judgment before rising again for our justification and to give us eternal life. What does he invite us to do? He invites us to put our faith in him, to trust in him that we might have peace with God. And in that journey, as we've considered it, he's calling each one of us to decide, which side am I on in this story, in this response to Jesus? Am I rejoicing over Jesus today? Or am I rejecting his rule and authority today? In part, it invites us to decide on his identity. Do I today think that Jesus is God's son and God's king who brings peace and salvation, or do I not? And how we respond to that will then probably determine how we respond to following him or not. His identity and his mission matters. Life and death matters. As Luke records this for us in his gospel, he's inviting us to heed the warnings that we find here. I think we see at least three warnings. One, a reminder and a warning. It's not enough to just be around Jesus. It's not enough just to be around his church. We need to personally respond in repentance and faith. And we can say this because these many in this crowd who are so joyfully, it seems, welcoming Jesus will in the next week be crying, crucify him, crucify him. Caught up in a moment, but their hearts were unchanged. It's not enough to just be comfy, to be in church and to be around God's people and to enjoy singing songs and to find friendship. We need to find friendship with Jesus. 
It's also a warning to beware that same pride and prejudice in the Pharisee's heart can rest in our hearts too. Perhaps we think that we're fundamentally good and so we're okay with God regardless of whether we trust in Jesus. Perhaps it's in failing to see peace with God as our greatest needs. We have other things on our agenda rather than getting right with God. Perhaps it's failing to see sin as our deepest and most serious problem. Perhaps it's simply failing to take Jesus seriously, uh, to write him off as not being worthy of consideration. I think the third, and in many ways the most solemn warning that we find in Luke's gospel from Jesus, is a pointer to the reality of future judgment. What happens to Jerusalem is a foreshadowing of future judgment, which is real, which is inevitable, which is painful, and which is tragic for all who would choose to reject Jesus as king. Jesus, the most loving man who ever lived, spoke about the judgment of God and the reality of hell more than anyone else in the Bible. It's so important for us to find peace with God through Jesus and to do that today. So there are warnings for us to respond to, but we're also invited to rest and to rejoice in God's promises, in God's peace. And it's wonderful. You think about the contrast with Perhaps the fragile peace that we, we feel in our own relationships or in our own hearts so often, in contrast to the, the struggle and the failures uh, to find lasting peace in the political realm, we need to recognize that Jesus has secured for his people peace with God through his blood. That is a finished work. Our faith rests in past completed actions of the Lord Jesus and they mean peace with us, peace for us, for now and for eternity. But it's not just about the past. Think about what difference the work of Jesus makes to our present. We can have peace in our hearts today. And think about the transforming power of that. As we receive grace and mercy day by day as the people of God, as we know we have been forgiven by God's grace, doesn't that give us the capacity to bring healing in our own relationships, to pursue reconciliation, and to live with hope? And perhaps that's the last great promise, is the hope of future peace. So here Luke invites us into this royal procession, which in some ways is a very humble procession as Jesus rides on a donkey. But we have the promise that when Jesus returns, things are going to be very different. There'll be an infinitely more glorious royal procession to come. Jesus will return as king of kings, and he will lead his people, those who put their faith in him, he will lead his people into the new Jerusalem, the new creation, a place of perfect, eternal, lasting peace. That's our hope. 
The King of Peace is our hope in life and in death. So as we finish, what's our response today? Will we reject Jesus? Or will we receive him and rejoice in him? Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask that in your mercy and by your spirit, uh, you would give to each one of us a clear vision of who Jesus is, to see him as your son, to see him as your promised king, to see him as uh, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, who came to lay down his life for sin and for sinners, so that by faith in Jesus, by trusting in him, by turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus, we might have peace with you. We might be reconciled to you. Indeed, we might be adopted into your family. Help us to see the significance of who Jesus is and to understand what Jesus did. That in dying on the cross, in giving his blood as the new covenant, he made a way for sinful people like us to be restored to fellowship, to relationship with you, a holy God. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to become complacent about that. For those of us who are Christians, may that always be the foundation of our hope. And Lord, for those who are not Christians, may you give them eyes to see the beauty of the salvation that is found in Jesus. Lord, we pray today for our family and friends who won't be in church today, who won't be worshipping you today, whose far hearts are far from you. Lord, we pray for our city and our nation and the nations of the world. Lord, as Jesus came as the King of Peace, extending his rule to all nations, authority over all peoples, may there be many, even today, uh, who would turn to trust in Jesus, to recognize uh, the wonderful free gift of salvation found in him. Lord, may you renew and revive May you awaken spiritual interest. And Lord, help us who are your people eh, to be good witnesses for you, eh, to be faithful in the way that we live and the way that we speak, so that we might point others to the hope that we have come to find for ourselves. Lord, as we're invited to uh, pray for one another, we uh, remember uh, different uh, churches across the country. We remember this week, uh, Golsby uh, up in the north. We thank you for uh, preserving them over the last couple of years. And we ask that as uh, we uh, look ahead to the end of restrictions for churches, that you would give them wisdom and vision to know how to uh, communicate the good news of the Lord Jesus uh, to their village and, and the villages around. Lord, we also remember the church of Bon Accord. Uh, we uh, pray for its witness in the city centre. Uh, we pray for their Hope Explored course soon to begin. Uh, Lord, asking that you would draw many who are hungry for truth uh, to be gathered there. 
Lord, we also remember uh, the work of Dumasani, the uh, the theological institute in South Africa. Uh, we pray that this would be a term of good learning, of people growing in their faith, growing in their understanding, growing in their ability to communicate the truth of the Bible uh, to a needy world and to the church, that the church might be built up. And Lord, we also pray for the church in Japan. Uh, we remember uh, the Nakahashi family. Uh, we remember uh, Ken, who was in our own congregation, and others. Lord, recognizing that the, the church in Japan is small and declining in numbers and increasing in age. Lord, we pray that you would do a new thing, uh, that you would cause men and women and boys and girls uh, to want to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. May you equip and encourage uh, the small churches to be faithful uh, in sharing good news. Lord, again, we remember uh, places with war. Again, we remember Ukraine and we cry to you for mercy. We cry for an end to war and for the beginnings of real peace. Lord, we pray for uh, the ongoing refugee crisis uh, for those whose uh, needs at the moment are immediately physical. Now, uh, Lord, we pray for those uh, whose needs are emotional and we pray uh, for people's spiritual needs as well. Uh, Lord, as there are millions pouring to different countries, uh, we pray uh, for your mercy. We pray for your people among them that you would comfort them and sustain them. Lord, thank you that uh, in your providence, this month is a month where the, the Bible Society is going to be uh, delivering uh, Bibles to Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, how much they need to hear uh, that message. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, the, the good news that in your providence, uh, there were many uh, Ukrainian children that were able to receive um, Jesus' storybook Bibles over the last year. Uh, Lord, we pray that those uh, words of truth and love would speak hope and peace. Uh, that you, the Prince of Peace, Lord Jesus, that you would rule and reign in hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.